Hey Blenders, on this week's episode of Real Blend, we have Christopher Nolan and John David Washington on as our exclusive interview. We are also going to do spoiler-filled conversation about Tenant, and we play hashtag Christopher Nolan Blend. Don't miss this episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blunders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 133 of Real Blend, a podcast that ordered its hot sauce an hour ago. <laughs> My name is Sean O'Connell. Best line in the movie. I am, I am the there managing like director. There are eight listeners that are going to get that reference. <laughs> but they'll all think it's funny. Um, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, uh, and your co-host, one of the three co-hosts of Real Blend. Nice to have you guys. Uh, episode highlights. The New Mutants uh, opened in theaters. Did anybody go? Uh, we are going to talk about Tenant in so many uh, different forms, including spoiler reviews, but we will give you plenty of warning before we get to that point. And <laughs> today, Christopher Nolan joins us for an exclusive interview on the Real Blend podcast, as, long, uh, as well as with his leading actor, uh, John David Washington. We got the two of them paired we are thrilled to finally have Nolan on the show. But before we get to that point, let me introduce my other co-hosts. I'm going to start on Nolan's show with uh, Nolan's biggest fan, Kevin McCarthy <laughs> of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kevin. I am honored to have that crown, but I do believe that we're all <laughs> we're all massive Nolan fans. Um, but no, yeah. I, 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 this is such a huge deal that we he's on our show. It's it's a monumental uh, thing for us and you know as everyone knows we've been saying dunkirk at the end of all of our shows for the past three years um you know nolan is in my opinion the most innovative filmmaker of our lifetime um and just the fact that he's on our show is insane to me it's i i, I don't even believe it and for people who are out there who are like nerds about filmmaking and all this stuff like that like we get real geeky like real geeky about about imax and everything so. and but i want to point out too because this is important you can listen to the nolan and john david washington interview without spoilers we did not get into any specific spoilers about tenant i know that people are having a hard time necessarily getting to it it might not be open in a theater near you obviously a theater is the way to go see it so this is something you can still enjoy and listen to uh all of us talking about the theater going experience and some of the things he worked on in the movie without spoiling anything. We keep calling it our show. The other hour is uh, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. Doing well. You know, it's so weird. I'm trying to think about why this particular Nolan interview, just the whole this whole week feels different. And I think it's because when we've landed other big interviews in the past, we had a little bit of time to decom. One, we were all in person for, for Quentin Tarantino and Joaquin Phoenix or whatever the case may be. And then we had time to decompress. In some cases, it was a couple of weeks between recording and getting it on the air. So we were kind of able to sort of, we just did this interview 
what, 24 hours ago from, from yeah. recording this particular show. And so to, to have recorded it 24 hours ago and then have him be on the show today, it, ju- it just feels like it, it hasn't, like I almost need to get this show over with and let it come out and let people react. And then I feel like it's going to hit me that it actually happened. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I This was the interview that I didn't think was going to happen. Like I genuinely like, oh, because Nolan's a very hard person to get. He does not do a ton of press. Uh, this film has had a lot of pressure behind it, considering where we are right now in the world. Um, the fact that we even got on a Zoom with Christopher Nolan and John David Washington to talk about this film. He's seen the inside of our homes. It, it's, a, it's, astound, it's astounding. <laughs> Nolan knows yeah. what my dining room art, art looks like. It, it's, it's wild. It, it, and it is, it is not any... We are so thankful that we got this interview. I hope everyone out there realizes, like, you know... Gabe made something, said something the other day I thought was interesting. Like, you know, we are all in a very privileged position to be doing what we're doing, right? Like, you know, we we go to the movies, we get to interview our heroes. Um, but I, I don't think any of us ever take it for granted. I mean, there is something absolutely mind-blowing about be able, being able to say that we have Christopher Nolan on our show this week. So thank you to Warner Brothers. It's, it's an honor to have him on. So. Well, and I, got, I want to give a real quick peek behind the curtain before we get into the rest of the show. Um, you, everyone sort of has to realize the fact of this was a roller coaster ride of emotions yeah. because up until about five days ago, we weren't getting him. Uh, it just was it's like it wasn't happening. Then we were told it was happening. And then the next day we're told it's not <laughs> And then we had to get through the weekend. We were told like, and then we like were told, 90 minutes before it was supposed to happen. Yes. That it wasn't happening. Like, it was we were prepped. Happening. We were yeah. ready to go. And we had like, done we a really, two hour conversation the night before working out our questions. Then it was. Now, again, the, the reason it was moved was a very good reason, which we won't get into well, specifics. Yeah. And but. just schedules in general. Yeah. Schedules sort of fall apart. And and that's why that's why the hashtag if it happens is something that we've created, because we are we're mentally prepared for the fact that something we're super excited for might not happen because things fall apart all the time. And Kevin has often said it, it usually with Tarantino, I'll believe it when it's, you know, two days after it has actually happened. <laughs> and we let our guard down with no. We did. <laughs> we really thought it was going to happen yeah. and it went away. But then it yeah, came I, back. I'm kind of the worst at that. I'm the worst at sort of ignoring the hashtag oh, if it happens. You really are. Jake. I really get am. All of us excited. All right. Plugs. Um, Real Blend has not one but two YouTube channels that we would love for you guys to go over and support. Please uh, subscribe to those channels. Turn on your notifications. One of them is the full show uh, in visual form. You hopefully are watching it right now. The other is called um, Real Blend Clips. And in that one, we're pulling out specific bits from the show that you guys uh, can share. Easily digestible segments. Uh, We have the interviews that we pull. So you're going to have Christopher Nolan and John David Washington on that one. So head over, uh, give each of those two channels a like and a follow and all of that jazz. Um, One other thing, too, that is new in the store. we have masks. We came up with masks. Uh, Gabe designed these. So if you're heading back this to theaters, this is so cool. This is really cool because we are obviously a podcast that's dedicated to the theatrical experience. We are really excited about that. That a lot of people around the country are getting the opportunity to go back to theaters um, on Monday. Kevin and Lauren went to go see Tenant. I heard from a lot of other people around the country who Tenant was their first yeah. uh, screening back to theaters. And and of course, above all else, we encourage everybody to be as safe as possible. You guys know what your threshold is. Only go if you feel comfortable doing it. Practice social distancing, but wear a mask. And we now have Real Blend masks that you guys can get. You can head over to cinemablend.com backslash shop. And $1 of every mask purchase is going to go to a nonprofit 
that helps uh, feed children in need. So uh, you need the mask. We encourage you to wear the mask. And now you know that if you uh, purchase a real blind mask, you'll look really cool in it, but you'll also be helping out a really great charity. Quick, so, Kev, I'm sorry. Quick question. Because um, G- yeah. Gabe and I have actually been to the movies yeah. um, it, at a normal showing for Tenet. And I was thinking that maybe later on in the show, Gabe, if you're cool with it, I'd love to later on, but I'd love to mm-hmm. maybe break down our different experiences because you had experiences on your end. Some people didn't have yeah. masks on. I had my experience. I think it would just be interesting to talk Let's, to the yeah, we'll get into listeners it. I went that. for New Mutants. Exactly. Too. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. I can open that up, yep. too. I have something funny to share about that one cool. also, too, which uh, didn't didn't really go as well as I had hoped. Um, but let's get to the weekly poll. So this is this is about as unfair as it could possibly be. Uh, we ran a weekly poll that said, which September release are you most excited for? And we included Tenet as one of the choices. <laughs> so it buried uh, Antebellum and Mulan with 85.4%. We should have done what movie other than Tenet. Well, blame Gabe. That, that is, <laughs> that's a game. Well, okay. Any any <laughs> other month in any other year, sure. Yeah. But I literally had like three choices to choose from. <laughs> so true, there was, wasn't a ton to go for. He was, he was stretching with other. So I th- exactly. I think a lot of people. Um, it was a challenge for you to come up with your own. Other studios are paying attention to how Tenet does and whether people are going back and, and whether they're going to well. give it a shot. It's doing well internationally. Um, I'm really curious to see how it does this week. It was when sold it out domestically. last night yeah. when I went. Did we see? Have we seen any? I know as of right now, as of this oh, recording, Monday nights. It's those limited ones. But have we seen any numbers from Monday? Not yet. Too not early. That I've seen no. Not that. Yeah. Not yet. Um, but. I'm looking ahead to October, which is Wonder Woman, and November, which is Black Widow, and No Time to Die put out a poster right before we yeah, came on the air. I thought that was very interesting that they yeah. they put out a poster. That's, I got that's still November. I got popcorn last night, and the person— I saw that in your picture. That made me happy. And the, but the popcorn tub was the No Time to Die logo with the April release. Oh, really? It was That's so funny. weird. You like, better hope the popcorn yeah. wasn't from the April release. <laughs> I know, but it was so strange seeing the original April date on it. It was really weird. The popcorn was so uh, good. When I stepped out of my New Mutants screening, there was a Black Widow poster um, with May 1st. And I actually wanted to ask the manager if I could, could have that. It's like, can yeah, I have that, please? A with the, it's you, kind do of you know a keepsake. How often, whenever I was a kid, how often, like when I was in a movie theater, I would just ask an employee if I could have a poster and they yeah. would go in the back and get it to me, give yeah, it for no me. No kidding, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, like, you're I'm a charming more, little boy. And I had a little cute little Southern accent too. It's gone away. Jake, you know what? Next time I see you, <laughs> I'll, t- I'm, I'll put this out there now on tape. So that way oh. it's real. When I, I used to work at an AMC when I was in uh, high school and I used to sell tickets and I used to go up and beg my, the projectionist for to either give me a 35 millimeter print of the, of a trailer or a yeah. poster. I have, I know it's a bad movie, but I have episode two, the original star Wars episode two poster theatrical, huh. the teaser. Good one. So I'll give it to you next time I see you. It's, yeah. it's, oh, the, it's, it. it's the actual theatrical teaser for uh, Attack of the Clones. I know it's terrible. I, I have a question for you because I know that you have um, the Kill Bill trailer yeah. on film. What mm. did the, the what are the theaters back in the, when when they all used to use film? Yeah. What did they do with them when they were done? Did they send them back to the studio or? So when I was, I would walk into like the projection booth and there would be like a um, a, a wall of like you know kind of like this, but it had like little sections off and it was labeled for every trailer they had. I don't, I don't think they were allowed to give them to me. I think you have to send them back to the studio. Like the kill bill one, the one specifically that I have ran on the gangs of New York print. And it it literally says, do not show this in any G or PG films. 
but I I'm don't I don't think I'm allowed to actually have it. <laughs> I think that yeah. I think those were supposed to be sent back to the studio. Um, but wow. yeah, but I, I it's funny. I, you... I showed it to Tarantino for Hateful Eight. He could have been like, dude, why the heck do you have this? I'm taking this with me. Yeah. No, it actually leads to that is the coolest photograph of oh, any. Oh, I love that picture. <laughs> it's such an amazing picture because he's holding oh, the yeah. film reel like. But he's open doing it in such like a cool like Tarantino way. Oh, it's the best picture of the world. And you putting it in black and white looks awesome. Oh, if you don't know yeah, what we're yeah, talking yeah. about, go find Kevin's picture. One of many pictures he has with Quentin Tarantino. It's but this true. one, he's holding that trailer that is stretched out the film and it's oh it, it looks like a picture that he would take yeah. like for um like a, a promotional thing like yeah. a magazine cover or something yeah, yeah, and yeah. kevin just happens to I'm be like, there like in the background of the <laughs> we are um we're vamping i don't know why we're killing time we have an interview to tease to with uh christopher nolan and john david washington <laughs> ladies and gentlemen uh the real blend podcast <laughs> Offers you an exclusive conversation uh, with Christopher Nolan. And listen, I know the the one question we got more than anything else heading into this one is, uh, did you get him to say Dunkirk? And um, listen, we certainly tried. uh, And you can listen now to find out if it worked. Here's Christopher Nolan and John David Washington. Mr. Nolan and Mr. Washington, this is kind of aimed at both of you guys. But Mr. Nolan, we know how important it is for you to immerse your actors in an environment on the day of the shoot, putting them in zero G for something like Interstellar, uh, leaning on sets to create the the environments that you have imagined. I'm just curious how you immersed your actors in the concept of inversion uh, and what were some of the challenges that you guys encountered trying to do it on the day? Well, I think the main the main challenge uh, was one that, that I didn't foresee, but in retrospect was very logical, is that you can't intuit this this in- inverted set of actions or this inverted world. I thought when I was writing the script there would be a point where I would be able to just intuit or just sort of visualise it. And I think one of the reasons that I find the concept fascinating is you actually need the camera to show it to you. You actually need the camera to... to uh, show you what it is and allow you to experience it. And so you can describe it to an audience, but they really need to come and see the film to to see see what it is. Um, but that fed into the the entire concept of how we could approach it from from the actor's point of view. Because um, I mean, I you know, I don't know how it was for you really in the sense of certainly for me looking at it from the outside, it wasn't possible to sort of imagine what something was in reverse, which is why we used playback mm-hmm. as much as we did. But I don't know if you were able in with internally to sort of feel it differently or whether that was even possible. Well, I think that um, the training process, you know, learning these moves the way Mm. we did and um, that sort of the physicality of it, trying to to understand it from a physical level, um, perspective really helped me with the concept. And and, and, and then having, you know, watching those playbacks in rehearsals um, really helped me with what it would be like in reality. Yeah. Like these, some of these moves, what they look like, because this is based in reality. Yeah. Like this kind of uh, technology existing. So uh, that really helped um, better g- grasp the understanding of what it is uh, a punch would feel like inverted. Right. You know? But it's, I think of any of the films I've done, it's the most, the biggest difference in terms of what's on the page to what's your experience watching the film. Mm-hmm. It, it's very visual. It, it's really based on the idea that the, the camera can literally show you time. And, and prior to the invention of the movie camera, there's no way of, of conceiving these things or looking at, at action backwards or speed it up or slow it down. Uh, yeah. 
You know, Mr. Nolan, I was telling you earlier during our television interview about uh, the idea of seeing Dark Knight on 70mm IMAX for the first time and that being the, the moment cinematic immersion changed for me. And I, and I have loved your use of IMAX cameras in your career. It's the, it, it, you know, going to, I saw Dunkirk 70, uh, six times in 70mm IMAX. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the innovations that you and Hoyta Van Hoyta made with the IMAX camera this time around, getting it into smaller spaces, but also this idea that of the IMAX camera running in reverse. Can you, ref can you talk about that as well? Well, we, uh, when we first started looking at, at uh, how we would apply the IMAX format to this material, uh, one of our concerns is, you know, could you run these cameras in reverse? Uh, and it turns out you can, and if anything, they seem to run better in reverse. <laughs> we, had, we had fewer, fewer mechanical problems and the rest. They, they really performed incredibly well. I think it was partly a as a result of, of now with, with Hoyt having done three films in a row on these same IMAX cameras, each time we're refining them, he and his crew um, and the engineers at IMAX and at Panavision, they're coming together to just uh, make the equipment work better and better every time. Uh, and we've become sort of bolder and bolder with trying to find ways to just use them even in the more intimate moments of the film and uh, you know really get them into the smallest spaces possible and get them into to, um, you know trickiest locations and never really give up on that and you know one of, one of my favorite shots in the film which is a bit of a throwaway is the, the shot looking down at the bow from the boat where you see the, the waves running back. Oh, yes. That's the yeah. opening of Trailer 2. The opening of, <laughs> the the opening trailer. of trailer 2, pardon me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, that that was one where we, we were on this icebreaker and we would, you know, I sort of thought, let's try and get a camera out there somehow and stick it to the side of the hole. And, uh, and Hoyter and... Uh, Ryan, our, our key grip, I mean, they, they found a little porthole in the bow of the ship and built a track that we could just roll it out and then use a stick to sort of tip the camera down. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was very, <laughs> it was a very, very complicated shot to get, but, uh, but it's things like that that I don't think we would have dared to do with those cameras, uh, you know, when we were starting out with them on the dark night. And we've just, over time and experience, you just, you wind up using it um, as you would any other format, and that really frees you up. What about Horton jumping wow. in a turnstile though, with the like following me, like with the well, yeah, they <laughs> like jump all in the of that stuff. Is, he's doing his own stunts, man. This is true. He's doing his own stunts. <laughs> no, he's. I mean, that's the that's thing. Is, is he uh, over these last three films? He's just taken that handheld approach to the cameras and and really, yeah, exactly as you're pointing out, just jumping into the turnstile behind you and, and whatever. He just um, and on Dunkirk, there was a lot of just floating out there. You know, he and I just. just floating in water with a little, like a boogie board with the oh, camera just, sitting on it and just, cause he just, he wanted crazy. to break down as he put the barrier between, you know, being above water, being below water. Uh, and in this case, he, he knew how important it was to us to just be with the protagonist all the time, looking over your shoulder, going, going through the situation with you. And he did an enormous amount of work with this uh, remote head, this aut automatic head, um, so that we could mount the camera in the car with these guys and just shoot over their shoulders as they're actually driving, as, as John, David and Rob are actually driving through the chase mm -hmm. uh, and just really get, get in the car uh, with them, you know, in the way that you would have in the 70s with like an IMO, you know, 35mm camera or something, just mm -hmm. sat in the back seat. Uh, he was able to, to give us a, a technical approach to doing that with this, this giant camera. Wow. Well, guys, there's such a great moment in the movie where the protagonist is sitting opposite Michael Caine's character, and he basically tells him, look, if you want to pull this off, 
You got to wear nicer suits, man. You got to like, you got to, that's the, that's the only way you're going to be able to pull. And it's such a great moment. But I'm just sort of curious for, for, for you, Mr. Washington, as an actor, for you, Mr. Nolan, as a filmmaker, what did you have to adjust about yourself in order to pull off this movie? Uh, my eating habits to get in those clothes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> more Pringles. Yeah, which Chris caught me uh, cheating one day. I mean, I can't, but it was crazy how he did. But we don't need to get into details. He caught me, though. <laughs> we'll just say Pringles were involved, you know. <laughs> you can't eat just one. I can't, exactly. Yo, you get it. And they had these, so they had the paprika-like flavor. I've never seen yes. those before in the States. So I had to get them. You know, in bunches because I didn't know if I'd ever have enough. So anyway, it was it was it was. If the movie taught us anything, you already ate them, so you were just, you just <laughs> had to do it. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. Listen, I got into the suits. All right, I got into them. We were fine. We were good. It worked out. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, just <laughs> between that and just a lot of the you know just all the all the costumes really they really just brought the character to life for me. Just. Just um, every day putting it on, putting your gear on. Um, yeah, Jeffrey did an incredible absolutely. job. The, well, the moment you're talking about is something I wrote in the script that's easy to write on the page and very difficult to pull off. It's like, you know, this Brooks Brothers suit that you wear. And then at the end, you know, and I'm saying Jeffrey's like, yeah, Michael Caine has to sort of slightly make fun of his suit and get him in a nicer suit. But we still want him to look great in the scene. Right. And so somehow he managed to give you a wardrobe where it's like, you look fantastic through the whole scene, but then you kind of get what he's saying. He's like, oh, you can you can raise it another level. In the yes. next suit, there's a different suit that's yes. just a little bit more yes. elegant. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a subtle art. And Jeremy Theobald, by the way, in that scene, which was amazing. And I got to say, it was as a following fan, it was made me happy to see him again. And he, he by the way, he thought something I talked to him the other day. He said something interesting. He said the the, the, the Bicky Bronner relationship kind of reminded him of the bald guy and the blonde in following just the idea of that hold he had over her. And he thought that was an interesting. I thought you might be interested in hearing that. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it was great to great to have Jerry back just going and doing doing that for us. It was, it was fun, really fun to so see him again and work with him again. Mr. Nolan, um, you've introduced audiences to some really fascinating narrative concepts, um, whether in films like Memento, Inception, uh, even in Dunkirk, the way that your use of time, your fans generally love when you build this ch challenging puzzle and your movies kind of um, force them to, to figure things out. It's, it, they've become some of the most beloved and original films uh, of our generation. But I'm often curious, like, when do, do you ever get clever ideas, but you have to abandon them because you can't quite figure out a story to fit them into? Uh, I mean, yes, I suppose it, it's it's really well. Cleverness is an elusive; it's a tricky concept um, because if the idea is really that clever, you could probably find a way to use it in a story. It's probably not as as great as you think, and so it it gets abandoned or it gets put to the back of the drawer. I mean, I think Tenet, for example, you know, the the seed of that for me was always the the idea of the the bullet being pulled out of the wall and back into the barrel of the gun, and I have it in Memento in in symbolic form instead of metaphorical form uh, but I always wanted to sort of find a way to, to make that a sort of physical uh, reality for characters to have to deal with in a story um, and that's what Tenet is and that took me a couple of decades ultimately to sort of find that and so it's not really so much you know if you if you come up with an interesting notion or an interesting concept 
you play around with it and it either suggests itself as a story uh, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, rather than throwing it away forever, sometimes I just, yeah, I, I stick it in a notebook somewhere. And uh, I, I've tended to find that the ideas that stick are the ones with value, you know, the ones that, that you try and put them away and they don't quite ever go back in the drawer. They keep, they keep uh, bugging you. Uh, those are the things that eventually turn into something. You know, Mr. Nolan, I'm very curious about the use of one word titles, um, you know, aside from the Dark Knight trilogy and, and the the before the prestige, every title is Insomnia, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Memento following. I was just interested to know, is that a conscious choice to make in regards to having them be one word? And is that what do you are you trying to say something with a one word title specifically? No, I think it's it's really more about I mean, for me. Titles are very tricky to be too self-conscious about. You're looking for a way of expressing something about the film. Uh, and and it, it, to a certain extent, it's a branding exercise on, on larger scale films. And so uh, I've always gravitated towards um, the simplest version of, of something that, that gets it across. Uh, and following, actually, for I think when I wrote the script, it was the following. So we got rid of the the and stripped that down. I think that was the beginning of my interest in, in trying to just, uh, you know, make things as short and as, as pithy as, as possible, really. Uh, but it's all instinct at the end of the at the end of the day. It's all uh, trying to create something that that you're excited about. You're excited to share with the world. And, and as we wrap up, Mr. Nolan, um, you know, I, oftentimes whenever you direct a new big cinematic spectacle that we're all excited about, we often sort of look at your work as a filmmaker and say like, oh, what did he learn from his days on Inception or Interstellar that maybe is sort of taken to the next level here? But I'm sort of curious, I just did a rewatch of your entire filmography before today, and, and there are so many incredible elements in your small, it, it, was, it was a good time, but I'm just sort of <laughs> curious, what, uh, what are some lessons that you learned from, I, I don't want to say smaller films, but from films like Memento? or Insomnia or The Prestige that uh, you still utilize maybe for something like Tenet? Well, I mean, I think, I think the main thing that, that um, the way my, my career has worked in the different scale of films, um, moving from Batman Begins, for example, to The Prestige, for me, I've been very happy with the way we made Batman Begins on a technical level with my director of photography, uh, Wally Pfister and Nathan Crowley, the designer on that film. Uh, but we did Prestige as a, a strong reaction against the production methodologies we'd had to use for Batman Begins. We wanted to be much more spontaneous, move back to a smaller form of filmmaking. For me, it was like going back to the way we made Memento, just trying to be simpler and smaller and more spontaneous. Um, and from that film onwards, we tried to retain that, that sort of core sense of freedom and spontaneity on the sets, even when the sets are bigger and bigger. Uh, and, and so now working with Hoyter Van Hoytemar on the last three films, uh, still with Nathan Crowley and, and so forth, we, we try and create uh, an arena for the actors and the crew to come into and then operate in a more spontaneous manner. And that's something we kind of learned uh, on the smaller films because I started off making films where it was you know, me with a camera on my shoulder and a couple of actors in a room or, or saying, okay, we can go shoot in this restaurant for a couple hours, just go in there and I'll put the camera up and we'll just get the scene. Uh, and 
over the years of the films getting bigger and bigger, eventually you come back to that needs to be there at the core of it. It has to be about the performers. It has to be about how they interpret the, the words. That has to be the center of what you're doing. And so we've tried to find ways to retain that even within the, the big machine that is a, is a large-scale action film. Mr. Nolan, we're getting the one-minute wrap. Sean's going to wrap us up. I just have to ask you one simple question, something I've wanted to know since I saw the first trailer. How are you flipping a car in reverse as we're moving forward in in action in the same frame? How are you doing that? That's insane. Well, you don't want to know everything about how things are made. (laughs) Got to be a little bit of mystery, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mr. Nolan, we are uh, tremendous fans We've been doing this podcast for three years. For some really odd reason, we have ended every single episode by yelling Dunkirk. Um, When we started, we were an awards blend podcast. You were in the heat of the Oscar race. And for some reason, we just shouted Dunkirk and it stuck and everyone loved it. And I I just would you please do us the honor of saying Dunkirk as loudly as you would like to. I don't really do loud, but (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, why don't you guys do it and uh, I'll join in. All right, that sounds great. So we'll do three, two, one, Dunkirk. Ready? Three, two, one. Dunkirk! Dunkirk. (laughs) You didn't commit, Chris. You didn't commit. (laughs) (laughs) That means everything to us. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And with that, as promised, uh, we're here to tell you guys that the Dunkirk bit at the end of every episode is uh, is over. It's come to a close. Uh, we have decided. Explain why that is, Sean. So, so uh, well, sure. we'll just say this: we've been saying Dunkirk at the end of every, end of 
every episode essentially since like yeah. 2017 at the at the end of that year is that when we first started the podcast yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and as sean explained in the interview it was right during the award season dunkirk was one of the top contenders and you you heard him explain that all that to christopher nolan we're all watching chris nolan's face like seeing how he's gonna react to it um <laughs> so for people at home that do like like we actually had even though like we, we weren't able to record the video we just have the audio we got to there was video between us so he could yes. see us and we could see him mm-hmm. while we were doing this yeah. interview which i think made it so much better yeah it was especially oh, yeah. when you have three hosts and you have two guests it, it's so it's so much easier when they can see who they're talking mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and you can tell when someone's going to stop talking and it was really cool warner brothers we got to zoom in with them just like we're doing right now but to sean's mm-hmm. point like we I think we said this jokingly, but it actually turned out to be a serious thing. If we ever got Nolan on the show, we would retire Dunkirk. I just don't think yes. any of us actually thought we'd ever get Nolan on the show. So I think we were going to say no. Dunkirk every show forever. And that's what it was. We almost we painted ourselves into a corner with a bit a little bit because we were like, how much longer are we going to keep saying Dunkirk? Like, it's, it's such an it's an old movie. He has a new movie out now at this point. Um, so he said it. And so we're going to retire it. Um, now, that doesn't mean we won't come up with something different to say at the end of uh, the episodes now still. Uh, if you listen to the premium episodes, you know that we have uh, another running bit. <laughs> And maybe that means we might one day get another person to come on uh, and it's say, my favorite and say that title. Um, but we're going to probably need some suggestions from you guys. So if you have another thing that you would like us to throw out or any other kind of way to end the show, uh, help us out because we um, we need some help create. Well, so it's but it's got to be yeah a similar scenario. So it's got to be a film of a director that we yeah. hope to get on the show. Like Fincher. if we get yeah so like or Spielberg Sean, yeah you know so so West Side Story I do have yeah. one quick question before we go what was the inception why did we start saying Dunkirk because it was it was the award season no, for Dunkirk but wasn't why it? did it become like an yeah. end of the show screaming because like you, you start you started you just screaming the word no I know yeah. but like I, I'm just trying to figure out like, I know I would say it but how did we start to go oh that's gonna be a bit we're gonna do like I don't remember that transition. I can say because I went back and cut them all together, um, <laughs> which was an amazing montage. <laughs> we should have played that for which I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Uh, yeah, that would have been. Here's, what, here's our enough. five minutes of <laughs> <a> montage. <laughs> um, no, but it was just a thing. That movie in particular, you were very, you were very uh, passionate about people going and seeing it in the theater because you were very passionate yeah. about seeing it in the theater. And so it just started where you were saying it because you were you just wanted it was the sign off <laughs> thing. And you were just like trying to last thing, remind people, go see Dunkirk. And then it just became a thing that we kept saying. I think it eventually became a thing that the audience started saying back to us. Yeah. And so then it became bigger than Dunkirk. And it was just about interacting all, with the audience, which is what it's been for yeah, years. All the now. emails and the reviews um, would end with like Dunkirk. It was so cool. Dunkirk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sad. sad. I don't know what they're going to say. You now. know what? I actually I kind of like I, whenever I hear Kevin say it now, it carries as much weight. Like Kevin saying Dunkirk is actually important. Like, I forget <laughs> it's a movie and yeah, not just a thing of. we say. Oh, for sure. I used yeah, to laugh so hard movie, when, it's a it's a movie when Jake would Jake would counter it with Solo. <laughs> he was kind of excited about Solo. Solo name scene or something like that. <laughs> his face. His face. I love it. Well, when we get Ron Howard on the show, we can have him say oh, it. Oh, hey, he'll come on next week. I want to add one quick. Hey, one, don't knock Ron Howard. One quick yes. thing to the uh, Nolan interview. Um, So. In the interview, you heard him talk about reversing the IMAX film and like d- getting that throwaway shot where they go out the you know to the back of the boat and just shoot the water down. So I rewatched the film 
let's went and saw it again last night and we'll get into this with the spoiler discussion that shot is brilliant like because it, 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 it opens for people who have don't know what we're referring to the opening shot of trailer number two is the shot that nolan says was a throwaway shot that they just used yeah. just to see if it would work and that shot is amazing like that's a throwaway shot <laughs> in filmed in reverse it. it's so crazy so yeah, crazy. I love it. He still has a lot of those independent sensibilities yeah. about him. So, um, all right, let's transition to uh, to news that broke over the weekend that we weren't able to address in the previous show. And uh, listen, I know that we're super excited about Nolan and it was great getting him on the show, but we have to sort of, you know, mention the fact that we also lost uh, an, an, an enormous talent and and somebody who I, I still can't even process it. Like we covered a we did a video on Cinema Blend today where we just talked about the legacy of Chadwick Boseman. And and what he left behind at the age of 43, 43 is so young. And uh, and so obviously, you know, we lost Chadwick Boseman. He, he succumbed to cancer after multiple years of battling this uh, in private uh, and still filming all of these films that he was able to put out right up until The Five Bloods, uh, which he worked on with Spike Lee that came out earlier this year. I, it's, it's hard to even know what to say, like the. It, you can try to put in perspective everything that he accomplished. And and I hate when we single out like one particular role for an actor, but there's no way that like the legacy of what he accomplished with Black Panther and the, and the difference that that made in the lives of multiple people, it can't be overstated. Um, that movie, that character, the introduction of his character, the way that he personified the Black Panther was a cultural touchstone um, for that we've lived through at this point now. Like that movie, the fact that it's the highest grossing Marvel domestic film, um, the fact that they created the, the culture of Wakanda, the environment of Wakanda, and that it immediately rose to the standards of the Avengers is, is nothing short of remarkable. Uh, the fact that the Wakanda forever salute was, was uh, just something that permeated our culture. He was the perfect person for that part, but that doesn't even touch on uh, him playing Jackie Robinson, him playing James Brown, him playing Thurgood Marshall. Like he chose roles over the course of his career that um, spoke to the the impact that he wanted to have. He, I don't think he has got a paycheck role on his entire resume. Um, and I love that he was also starting to sort of branch out and get behind vehicles like 21 Bridges that he wanted to executive produce with the Russos and, and really turn into leading vehicles. So what I lament more than anything um, with the loss of Chadwick Boseman is just the number of stories that we still would have got from him, because I don't think um, that he had yet been completely challenged. You know, like I think about other director pairings, other filmmakers beyond Ryan Coogler, uh, beyond the Russos that would have wanted to work with him uh, and gotten the opportunity to. And it's just devastating to, to see that life sort of cut short. So um, uh, how are you guys feeling about the loss of Chadwick Boseman and his contributions in this short time. Yeah, similar to um, in a lot of ways how I felt uh, when we learned about the passing of Heath Ledger. I mean, yeah. you talked about, you know, you know, the, the word that I keep hearing that really for me is is the gut punch is the word potential because yeah. when an older actor passes away, you know, it's it's obviously it's a bummer because of all the memories that we had with that particular person. But when someone like Chadwick Boseman passes away. It's it's heartbreaking because of the memories we didn't get to have. Like he he was an actor who not only was not going anywhere, I, I would say an Oscar was in his path. Like if you were to tell like he was going to win an Oscar within the next 20, like I would not have surprised me in the least bit. Sure. Um, the, the, yeah, I agree with you. The amount of stories 
you know, I think once he sort of cleared uh, the the Black Panther role, he was probably you know going to be on every director's short list for you know for a variety of different roles that we could have seen things. And then also too, you know, we have to remember just what the role of Black Panther meant for uh, for honestly for a lot of people that don't look like uh, you know like for for so many young black children out there who had a mainstream superhero who represented them. Like like the the four of us on this show have plenty of superheroes had have grown up with cinematic superheroes who look like us. Yep. So so for, for an entire community I I did a live shot uh, at a th- local theater here in Chicago where an entire elementary school was bussed in so that they could see Black Panther and they could mm-hmm. see themselves and they could see their history and they could see their culture represented on the big screen and yeah. I found my I did I'm getting chills talking about it. I found myself getting like choked up talking to these kids as they were telling me like how great, like, like they were holding their black Panther toys. And, and that's where you realize that he didn't just play a superhero for us to go and like, for, you know, for the four of us to be able to like talk about it and have a good time. And it's a great yeah. Marvel movie. I mean, it is a, it, it, you know, like I, we just made this reference. Earlier. It wasn't a movie. It was a movement. It, mm-hmm. it represented something that was bigger than all of us. And, you know, when I, the, the thing that, you know, so many of his co-stars and, and even Ryan Coogler put out really powerful uh, uh, statements about this passing. But the ones that really stuck a knife in my heart was, did you guys see the images of the of the young kids who created funerals with their toys? Yeah. The, like that's, yeah. that's yeah. what got me. And that's yeah. really what drove home what we lost. We lost mm-hmm. something that was bigger than, than, than a guy that was a superhero in the movies. We, we lost something much bigger than that. I think what amazes me about the the situation is you know as heartbreaking as it is it's one of the most inspiring things i've ever seen and i say that because he's diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2016 and instead of just stopping working and just spending time with his family over these next four years which i'm sure he did he decided to go out and make a mark which he Mm -hmm. already was doing but so much more so with the projects that he took on even later and Black Panther being one of them. You think about the fact that he shot Black Panther, trained for Black Panther, did all the press for Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, The Five Bloods. You're talking about some of the most important and biggest films of our time. And to do that while you're dying is genuinely one of the most selfless and most I just think it's such a beautiful thing that he did. He he you know, the idea of touching the world through a film like Black Panther and not telling anybody what you're going through just so that you can leave behind and make an important change on this world mm-hmm. is something that I I I cannot not see that now. I I look at him as something even bigger than an actor, um, as somebody who genuinely wanted to make a difference in this world. And he didn't have to do that. He didn't Mm -hmm. have to do any of that. He just could have stopped. And to me, that's what I find interesting about this is as heartbreaking as it is. And I've interviewed him numerous times, multiple times during that period. I sat across from him for Captain America Civil War, You know, uh, I interviewed him for Black Panther, 21 Bridges, all those are all moments when he was going through stage three colon cancer. I don't know when exactly it turns into stage four, which I know eventually is, you know, his passing. But I just I find that to be so incredibly interesting. And I I 
I'll never forget this. And, and, and I was I went to the Infinity War premiere with Lauren and this was right after Black Panther. And you guys have been to these movie premieres like with and, and they're all and the actors specifically are sectioned off in their mm-hmm. own areas. And generally there's a security guard that blocks the area for like friends and family. But like anybody else who's gone to the movie, you kind of stay out in, in the bar area. And I remember going over and like Lauren and I were just walking by and like I saw him and I I said something to someone who was with him and they're like, oh, yeah, come on in, come on in. So I went in and like he was like, again, he didn't have to do this. This is like this is right after Infinity War. Black Panther had come out. Guys, one of the biggest stars on the planet took took a few minutes and talked to us about the film. This is right after Black Panther got dusted in the film right so yeah. we're, we're we're just all flabbergasted by what just happened yeah, in yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. and just to have a moment with him and take a picture with him and for him to smile for that picture and actually want to say hi and talk um again i'm not saying that that is like an indicator that he was a great individual but it's, mm-hmm. it's the little things that he did like that knowing what he was going through that just fascinate me um because mm-hmm. a lot of people get down and depressed and anxiety filled about elements in their lives. And that can lead to people, you know, you, you not being a nice individual or shutting people out or, or whatever your depression or whatever leads you down a path. But for you to get that diagnosis and then say to yourself, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I know for sure if he said this to himself, but I'm going to go out and do the best I can to be the mm-hmm. best person I can be and leave behind this legacy. Um, that being said, aside from all that, one of the greatest actors of our generation, like I, I genuinely believe that to take on roles like James Brown and, you know, and Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson, you yeah. have to understand. I mean, you guys understand, but the beauty of what he did with those roles is they, they were not imitations or uh, or impersonations. They were interpretations. Um, and I remember talking to him for 42 and he had this beautiful way of describing becoming Jackie Robinson about when he, you when you become the character, it's like the spirit of the characters moving in and out of you, essentially. And that's how he viewed these this material. Like it, it, it he wanted to honor these people so much that he wanted to get it right. But he didn't want to do an impersonation of what, you know, that person would sound like. This dude cared, cared about his work. And you could see that in the work. You could see it in the way he talked about the work. But at the same time, you know, to be going through that and not, I mean, I don't, Ryan Coogler didn't even know his black Panther director didn't even know that. He, That's remarkable. Isn't that, I mean, it's incredible That's to me. Remarkable. So I'll yeah. end, I'll end just by saying that I found this story as heartbreaking as it was to be a truly inspiring story because Michael B. Jordan said it in his post, like it, it makes you want to change the way you live your life. It really mm-hmm. does, because as somebody, you know, on my end, we all get down about things and it's like, you know, it's we just got to push through. And if he can do it and he did it for those four years, anybody can do it. And last thing I'll say is the five bloods ending on that film, I found mm-hmm. to be very poetic. Um, that character, the way the character is designed in the story, he's the one who saves his men He's the one who leaves the legacy. The entire film is about finding his remains, the character's remains. I just feel like the projects he chose to do after his diagnosis, 
it's interesting to look at them and why he did them. They all have something mm-hmm. very important to say. And I, I just that's that's what I want to say about him. Even more so. Yeah. Brilliant choice by Spike to keep um, Chadwick in the flashback and have him work with the older actors, too. Right. That's a it's, in hindsight, such an amazing uh, tribute to his legacy. So, I mean, we'll continue to, to hear these beautiful tributes from the people uh, who worked with Chadwick, the directors and the actors uh, who collaborated with them. And I love that ABC did Black Panther uh, as a special showing on Sunday. I would love it. That's an annual thing. I watched I, I it think again it'd be really cool. the other night. Yeah. It has a different it, weight it was, to it. Yeah. It was my first movie back when I went to the theaters um, in a very unusual turn of events because my tenant screening was postponed and the theater owner, uh, to kill time, because I honestly had hours to kill uh, while I waited for the tenant thing to be done. He's like, well, here's a bunch of movies that we're going to be playing all day. Uh, what do you want to go see? I'll just feed you tickets. And... Um, as soon as he said Black Panther, I said, uh, hmm. oh, my God, I'll go watch Black Panther again. That's phenomenal. And again, having no clue that this was about to happen and, and just to have that movie hit as hard as it does again, because it's fantastic. Um, it was it was great. So um, speaking of returning to theaters. Uh, so let's get into some of our stories about about experiencing going back to theaters. Um, and again, I can't emphasize this enough that we are preaching uh, safety above all else for anybody who is choosing to go back. And listen, this is the difficult conversation because the people who are who say to us that they're not ready and it's not worth the risk, you're you're you might be right. You're right. You know, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Um, but then we're also hearing from other people who are giving it a chance and they're running into different situations and and sometimes it's working out really well and sometimes it's still a little bit sketchy because of the other patrons that are involved. Uh, we went to go, I went to go see New Mutants on Friday at a public screening. We needed to review it for Cinema Blend. We were going to uh, do coverage on it. And so I went to a 120 screening in South Carolina and felt very, very safe. Um, everyone was wearing masks. Employees were wearing masks. The majority of the patrons, there was probably about 15 people in a pretty large auditorium. Um, one guy didn't have a mask on because he was eating popcorn. And I guess that Regal's policy is if you're eating a concession food, uh, you're able to take your mask off. Yeah. Gabe is making this face because... Uh, but what if it takes you the entire movie yeah. to then you just don't wear a mask the entire time? It's a yeah, personal I so. responsibility. I, I had popcorn last night. I kept my mask mm-hmm. on. You slide it down. Eat your popcorn for the amount of time you're going to eat it. One or two minutes, whatever it is. Slide it back up. And, it, and there's even, Isn't there a way to like wear the mask and kind of just like... No, it, it, but they, they, it, it's policy. You can actually do that. Yeah. Um, one thing that happened to me though, because I walked into the lobby and, uh, there was nobody there to take tickets. Um, it was one twenty. It was probably one of the first screenings of the day. The staff was still sort of figuring out what was going on. So I walked over the concession stand. There were a couple of employees sort of gathered up and I said, hi, where can I check in? Literally, I could have just walked in and walked right into the auditorium and nobody would have stopped me for anything, but I had the ticket on my phone. So I was like, oh, where can I check this in? And the guy goes, oh, come on down here. I'll do it for you. And I walked down to the register and I showed him my my um, phone and the thing. He goes, uh, oh, yeah, I'll scan that for you. And he took my phone from me and he's holding it and like waving around the thing. And as he's doing it, I'm like, you shouldn't be touching my phone. Like, why are you touching my phone with your hands all over everything? And uh, so they're not there yet, 100 percent, but they're figuring out as they go. Um, but I felt safe the entire time. I really didn't feel like I was at any kind of risk. And um, I don't know. I don't know. As it gets on in the process and more people start braving it and the crowds get bigger that I might feel differently, but as it gets on, they've only had six months to get their shit together. 
No, I more mean that when people, when more people go and it's a little bit harder to social distance in an auditorium. Because, uh, Gabe, you way in here, you texted us right before you went and saw Tenet and you said that there are people sitting right near you with no masks on. Yeah, I don't want to get too far into this because this is not really our show. But um, yeah, I wasn't super comfortable. I went because um, Tenet is a very particular movie and I have a particular job and it's going to get ruined for me. And so I it motivated me enough to and I wanted to see firsthand like, hey, how are they doing it around here? Um, you know, I live in St. Louis, but it's still Missouri in the Midwest. And sometimes we make really poor decisions mm. um, for the most part. It was fine. Um, there was a gentleman who was nearest to me. He was still, you know, several, several feet away from me, maybe seven, seven or eight feet away from me. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a, you know, <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I don't know how these things work. Uh, but it was still enough to make me feel uncomfortable that he sat the whole movie, not wearing a mask made me not really want to go back. Just, just for the risk alone, yeah. just wasn't really worth it. Till Dune um, comes everyone along. has their, till- <laughs> their, yeah, I, it just didn't, I didn't feel very smart. <laughs> Let's just say that. I didn't feel like I was making the smartest decision I could. Still enjoyed but Kev, you felt but, pretty safe when you went. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, we've had a lot of different discussions on this show about movie theaters reopening, Tenant is going to reopen or not reopen. Um, and for me, so I've seen Tenant twice. Once was in a press screening, but I went to the same theater to see it again with a public screening. It was sold. It was sold out and it was socially distanced. I had popcorn. Everyone had a mask on. I didn't have any issues with people not wearing masks. Now, going back to what Sean was saying, it's all based on your personal preference. If you're if you're if you're comfortable going, that's fine. If you're not, there's no judgment whatsoever. You do whatever makes you comfortable. And I I, I think I told you guys this already, but my mom and dad came to visit me a couple weeks ago. I had tickets. I was going to go see the Inception 20th anniversary. My mom mm-hmm. texted me beforehand and said, hey, Kevin, do you mind not going to that movie before we come? Because just because we're a little worried, I said, not a problem. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you, I'm not going to go visit my grandmother after I go see Tenant. You know what I mean? So it, it's I felt completely safe, but I also understand and completely understand anybody who does not feel safe. I have no judgment. So I bring up I bring up New Mutants to point out the fact that it made seven million dollars um, over its debut. Some of that weekend, was mine. 9. I didn't even 9. go. 9.9. Oh, you bought a ticket and then didn't go? Well, I, I, yeah, I was interviewing the cast and I, 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 the tickets went on sale. I thought it'd be cool to buy a ticket because it was like the first time I bought a movie ticket in forever. And I bought it, I bought two tickets for Lauren and I to go well, the other night and I just couldn't go for personal reasons. So instead of canceling it because I felt guilty because like, I told the cast I bought the tickets, I just kept them. <laughs> and I just didn't refund them. I just felt bad. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that you were spared um, oh. because I went <laughs> and it's not good. Oh. And, and I, again, we kind of could have predicted this. It's a movie that had been delayed multiple times. If it was truly great, um, Disney and Fox probably would have figured out some way to get it out there. The, 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 here's what I'll say in a really quick review. Um, it doesn't commit to anything. If it thinks it's supposed to be the first mutant superhero horror movie, it's not scary in the least bit. Um, it's not scary. It'd be scary if you've never seen a, a horror movie at all in your life. But it's like watered down PG uh, jump scares. Not even that. Like, they're not even that effective. As a superhero movie, it has like no action whatsoever at all. Um, it's just watered down. It's just bland. It's just, it's totally forgettable. And I hate that we paid as much attention to this movie as we did. 
because of all of the circumstances surrounding. I do feel bad for what happened to that film. To be honest with you, I do too. I feel bad yeah. for what happened, what Josh Boone had to go through with that, and the idea of the film getting caught up in the merger. And it's, it's got to be rough for that to happen as a filmmaker. Sad. Absolutely, it is sad. Because I feel bad if the movie were good. I, I still feel bad. A lot of, regardless of the movie being bad or good. A lot of work went into it. A lot of passion went into it. And I, I, I just don't. Do you think this is his cut? Do you think this is the cut he wanted? No. Or at least no, no. Are, we, are, we starting, <laughs> are we starting a new one? It's my next book. Oh, release the Boone cut. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I really did try to judge it from the perspective of what if this movie came out when it was supposed yeah. to? Like in 2017. But even by the standards of the X-Men movies that were coming out then, it's it's boring. It's lame. Like, it's really like 2017. We had we had seen Logan. We'd seen X-Men Days of Future Past. We'd seen them challenge the genre and elevate mutant stories. And this is like a weird. It felt like a movie that was made in the early 1990s before the studios had even figured out how to really do superhero movies yet. So I don't get it. Mm. And the the cast is real. The cast is perfect. They're really great for the characters. The movie just does nothing for them. And so I just feel I think Josh Boone sort of let them down with the script. It's almost like if you if you if you got these characters, but then you didn't do anything to take advantage of what makes them special. Uh, you never really see their powers on display. They don't the way that they interact isn't special. It's it's really it's just disappointing. All of this disappointing. That's so. a bummer. So, hey, New Mutants, um, probably coming to HBO Max sometime soon. Uh, speaking of coming to streaming, on Friday, September 4th, um, you guys are going to be able to see the live action Mulan because Disney's putting it on their Disney+. Plus. You probably know this by now, uh, but it's going to cost you a little bit extra to see it. Even if you have your Disney Plus subscription, it's going to be an additional $29.99, essentially $30 to rent live action Mulan. Um we have screener links, uh, and I'm watching it tonight. Kev, I think you're watching it tonight. I'm actually... So Everybody? I've, I've everyone's actu- watching it? I've never seen the original Mulan, so we're okay. watching the first one right after the show, animated, yeah. and then I'm going to watch the new one. You got a Donny Osmond in treat, uh, treat in store for you, sir. I heard Eddie Murphy's great in it. I've never seen it. Yeah, it is, it is, is great. It. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It was sort um, of the end of that great Disney renaissance that was maybe like a decade long that began in the, in the late eighties. And yeah. I'd say, would you animation. say Sean, like around? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, like not just hand drawn, but like great. Like it was like, it was like yep. little mermaid and beauty and the beast and lion King and Aladdin. And I'd say Mulan was sort of like the end. Wait, then that's interesting yeah. because that's all the live action ones that we've basically gotten yeah. just now, except little mermaid, which um, they are which doing is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Which they are doing. So, so we will have a, reviews to the new Mulan um, in the next episode. I'm sure we'll bring it up at that point. Um, some people have been tweeting about it and saying that, they, uh, that they've that they been pretty impressed by it so far. So um, we just didn't get a chance to see it beforehand because we were so busy uh, with Tenet. And so now we're going to dive into spoilers for Tenet for the next few minutes. And that means um, if you haven't yet seen it and you came to listen to the Nolan uh, jump away. We appreciate it. Um, move forward. If you want spoiler-free reactions to Tenet, go to last week's episode because uh, we have that in here. But now we're going to get into uh, what we think works and didn't work about Tenet, and Gabe has something he would like to add. Well, and just a reminder, yes. we've made a commitment that moving forward, we're going to keep spoilery stuff and jokes and references to Tenet uh, contained to this spoiler-free segment. And then moving forward for anybody, you know, who has no idea when a theater is going to open up or when they're going to feel safe to go. Um, you can continue to listen to the show for the weeks to come. 
um, and have fun with us and not worry about us dropping a patents in reference that blows the mind off of the whole yeah, thing or something. Exactly. Who knows? Okay. Uh, so yes. So here we go in three, two, one. <laughs> Did you just flick uh, me off? I might have. <laughs> <laughs> you had five fingers on your hand to choose from. It could have been number one, and you specifically chose so that personally. one. I took that so personally. So, uh, today I had the joy of writing a tenant ending explained feature on Cinema Blast, <sighs> which is why I was furiously texting Kevin because Kevin got to go last night, and I just wanted a couple of things clarified. Uh, I hope I was right. The, I'm still trying to figure it all out, but uh. you may or may not be. Um, <laughs> so the, the the moment in tenant that. That and Jake's was saying this too right before we started. Where I was fully, fully on board with everything that was happening was um, when John David Washington realized that the person he was fighting in the hallway was himself. And that's when th- there's moments in Nolan's films when his his lines sort of um, come together in a seamless form, and you realize the story that he's been trying to tell. Now with Nolan, he's he's always so many steps ahead of us in the process anyway, because it's his story. But when he lets you in, nobody's better um, at letting you in at different points in the story. Yeah. Uh, and it's a little bit like the usual suspects moment, or it's a little bit like the sixth sense moment. But in a Nolan film, you sometimes get four or five of those. <laughs> and, and that moment when John David Washington realizes he was fighting himself I was like, oh, this is just amazing. Like, I don't I don't care how like, when he what gets happens sucked with under movie, the door yeah. from here on out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this is just it's so ambitious. It's so smart. It's so intelligent. Um, I, I, I loved every minute of that. But, and so it's just it was fun doing the two hour conversation afterwards because I realized just how many of those moments there were. And we were all pointing them out to each other. Because we're like, oh, remember this? Oh, remember this? And that's what was so exciting about this. movie. And also in the the um, the palindromes. Yes. The, the, uh, uh, I guess so. So I guess you know, I, I didn't realize this. I'm not smart enough to hear a word and realize it's a palindrome that the Kenneth Branagh's last name is a palindrome for the company that was protecting the, the security oh. company that was protecting the painting. Oh, for real. That's and interesting. the name of the painter of the painting is a palindrome for the word opera. It's a Goya. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, no, then there's a different one. So, you, so whatever, uh, a Pero or a Pero. A, a Pero is oh, the name yeah. they, they kept having to use. Yeah, the guy that sold. sold sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so a Pero yeah. is, a, is, a, is a palindrome for the word opera. Part of me feels bad for um, Nolan because <laughs> I don't know how his brain works. Like, imagine just trying to go through a normal well, day I, as Christopher Nolan. You guys thought I was joking for the longest yeah. time. I've been telling you guys we're not, we weren't ready for this film. I, I, I literally, <laughs> but I that. will say. I'm not I will say, I mean, brilliant, brilliant. I'm not taking away from that. But he does have the benefit of, you know, rewriting. So, sure. you know, it's not like he sat down in the first draft was this elaborate <laughs> puzzle. You know, yeah. he probably spent a couple of years going, ooh, but what if it was this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, Especially this one in particular. Wasn't he working on this story idea for a really long time before I'm he finally sure, cracked yeah. it? By the way, Sean, to your but, point that you made about the reverse fight, sorry, Jake, um, about the fight and then the reverse fight of him fighting himself. I, yeah. I have been watching the Tenant trailers religiously since December of 2019. Like I wa- yeah. I have probably seen each one over fifty <laughs> times. Like I've I yeah, yeah. I will. Lauren will att- 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 attest to this. My dad. So my parents were here two weeks ago, 
and I think it was a week ago or so, and the final trailer came out, the one with the Travis Scott song playing through, which I really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which that trailer shows a lot of the third act. It does. Which it's you, but a you, heavy third but act. But you don't know what you're watching. Yeah, you don't um, know yet. But what's cool about that was I must have played that trailer ten times over that weekend because it just came out that weekend. Ten it so times? Yeah. <laughs> so my dad texts me like Get almost every day and says, hey, Kev, do you watch that Tenet trailer yet? Have you seen it yet? Like, he's like completely just messing with me. But but the point I'm trying to make is I, I think Nolan's trailers are an extension of his movies. I think the trailers play into your expectations. And we have seen that shot in the trailer where the guy is behind the portal, comes out backwards and then goes into oh, yeah. the fight with Nolan for almost uh, you know, nine months now, and I never once had. Isn't it cool though when you realize like I've seen something a thousand times right. and I had no idea what I was seeing? I did not. I I just thought that was a random bad guy just stuck in that portal that comes out and yeah. fights him backwards. The idea that that was John David Washington the entire time is yeah. insane to me. Okay, so let me <laughs> ask you know, a question. But, I want to ask a question about that scene specifically. The first time that they get around to it yeah. and they come through the door, um, there's, I have two questions about this. Robert Pattinson says, what happened here? Hasn't happened and yet. John, and John Davidson hasn't happened yet. Wouldn't Robert Pattinson know what's going on? Pat is, he, is that a leading question by him? Pattinson is kind, his character is kind of a guardian angel, yeah. I, I think. And as you walk, as he's walking through the film, he know he already knows John David Washington now. Does but with, yeah, but, but he with hasn't Patton been through that moment that. yet. Right, right. So, but Patton, yeah, because keep in mind, he doesn't moment. realize that that guy is John David Washington until later. Until he yet. takes the helmet off and not then he yet. looks and then he tosses the helmet but, back. So even okay. so, in that moment, even he doesn't know what's about to Pattinson happen. Pattinson knows the general okay. arc of what's going to happen with John David's character because you have to look at all of right. their paths as linear. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, okay, but but the, the big sort of overall point that I want to make is that everyone keeps talking about how this is Nolan's Bond movie. Like that's the big like that's the that's the company line. Okay. That's what critics I didn't are using. Get a Bond feel. But, I mean, I I understand kind especially because I feel like Brana's character is kind of a Bond villain a in Bond that sense. Villain. Yeah. Sure, but yeah. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I and, and I sort of quickly referenced this before gave it a chance to see it and then regretted saying it because I I didn't want to spoil it. I think this is Nolan's Terminator movie. Yeah. Like to me, this is a much closer like interpretation to him doing Terminator than him doing well, Bond. Or Back to the if Future. Only, if only because you mixture. send somebody back. Like you're just hanging yeah. on the concept of sending somebody back, right? Sure. Sending someone from in the a, future back. In a way, back. they're sending somebody yeah. back. Yeah. It's, 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 it's sending someone back in order to affect a person who doesn't know, in order to prevent the end of the world. Yes. That's Terminator. A little bit. Yeah. It's just a lot more it, layered. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But it's it's definitely a it's definitely a mesh sure, of those concepts. Sure. Yeah. Still, it's still very Bond. I would say that this, with the way that it ends, this is like the Casino Royale of Craig's Bonds in that it's like, although it, it begins with him getting 007 status, I would say it's more like a Bond movie in that at the end of this movie, John David Washington becomes Bond. Yeah. yeah you know and, what I mean? Like at the end of this, he yeah. becomes the guy that two. Apparently, the one that the, the the most the Bond film that he most looked at was The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, okay. which oh, really? I believe I saw, now I read that somewhere. I don't remember where. See, that makes me want to go back and because I don't, I don't know the Bond movies one. well enough yeah. to, to be able to differentiate that, you know, he showed the older ones. He showed his cast okay. once upon a time in the West before they shot from what I understand as well, which is, I, it, there's so much structural elements that I'm just interested in knowing, but yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Sean. Here's an odd question. Do you want them to make a continuation of this story? No. 
So it's I, I'm of two minds about this because there is a part of me that feels like, especially what the last five minutes tells us, is that there are a lot more stories that need to happen slash have already happened. Yeah. And I, I and, and the thing that you and I mentioned when we were talking after we both saw it is that I really thought the film was going to go back to the opera. I did too. And I yeah. kind of really wanted that to happen. But why would I you need to go back to, to the come? opera? Well, because then the movie would be a palindrome. But it kind of is in the sense. So in the beginning of the film in the opera, that's when Robert Pattinson's character first saves yeah, John David like Washington's I, I, life. I, I kind of wanted a reason to have to go back there. Yeah. For some so reason. here's here's the thing about it structurally. It builds to a point in the mit, in the moment where John David Washington goes through the the timetable, the cylinder. The what's it, what are those called? Yeah. The the por- it's a portal of some Something. sort. Yeah. And then he goes back into the um, the uh, highway sequence, mm-hmm. and then they have to go backwards into the <laughs> airport heist. <laughs> I get what Jake is saying that if they go back, they should go all the way back to the beginning, which would be the opera. Yeah, I, but I the opera made it, a yeah. full visual palindrome. The only reason they went back to the airport is because that's where the portal was. The opera didn't have a correct. The yeah, opera sure. didn't have a portal in it. Uh, correct. Correct. I I like that they didn't because I felt like that would have been if they had went all the way back and it was like ooh John David Washington was there it would have been cool but it would have been Easy. so on the nose on the on nose. nose it would have been so that's fair I think that he still achieved that sense with wherever it is that they ended up like that there's still a sense of like the way that the um the opera house happened and like that was like a siege and it was all this stuff and there were the two different teams going on like i think that that in a way it mirrors each other without it being like so on the nose perfectly i agree so kevin taught me something today that i didn't know i hope i'm right about whatever you're about to say well i think you are i think you are (laughs) um it's it's robert pattinson or it's neil who saves John David Washington during the opera sequence. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. I didn't remember that. It shows the string. <laughs> yeah. That's where it shows yeah. the string. But Sean, I'm with you. And I so, didn't get it on my first pass. I got it on my second pass. I didn't get it? Yeah. No, there's so much going yeah. on in the opera siege. You know, yeah. you don't even know where to pay attention. Yeah. There's so much stuff happening. And I'm like, how yeah. much of this is important? Because even in the siege, he's a member of a team that's there to do something different. <laughs> and he's got to branch off with his guys to get to get to which, that person. Which mirrors what happens at the end. A temporal pinch. Oh, it's crazy. And that's that's and basically so what I the, mean by the, the theory that I threw out that that you guys at least entertained and gave I still like shot it. down pretty quickly. I like it. But, and, and granted, there's not a ton of proof. Is My theory was that was Neil, was Robert Pattinson actually Elizabeth Debicki's son? And the thing that really that, that made me think that was the I, granted, I've only seen it once. Kevin, maybe you can confirm the, the last thing or one of the last things he's like Pattinson says to John David Washington at the end of the film is I'll see you at the beginning. Yes. And then cut to John David Washington is sitting outside the kid's school. And so I was like, oh, does that edit mean something? And then I kind of started thinking back to the whole like Pattinson when Pattinson, when they were going back toward the airport back in time, he was like he was very much taking care of Debecky. And, and granted, I'm probably looking too too far into this. But, John but he was David very, took more very care caring. No, no. Yeah. And in that moment, but he was he was trans. When that moment, when he he like like Pattinson is the one injecting her with the stuff. Like Pattinson's very, um, like making sure. I kind of love that. I, I, when, I, he, when he says, "I'll see you at the beginning," though, does he mean the opera siege? No, because I think the the beginning he's implying that they've had this whole life yeah. experience together, this whole like friendship yeah. and partnership together. And somehow Pattinson 
ends up there, and now we see John David Washington okay. becoming so now, let me ask on that scene. Yeah, all right, but. But he'd have to point, like be going through turnstiles and going backwards forever. Yeah, because that is a, that is what I think is. I, I think that this movie touches on a really interesting aspect of time travel, which is it doesn't happen instantly. Like if you want to go back in time a week, you have to live a week backward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think yeah. is a really because because you know all the time travel movies has been I don't say easy, but just like need to go back four years. Boom, you're back four years. This one says like okay, but you have to exist four years going back. Okay, so then I want to ask a question, and I don't, maybe only Kevin can answer this, because but well, Gabe, you just saw it last night too. But um, Kevin knew what to look out for when John David Washington goes into the cave at the end, mm-hmm. and he encounters the locked gate. Yes, um, one of Brana's guys is on the other side of the uh, fence, mm-hmm. and what is he doing? What is he trying to? He's trying to get the last piece of the algorithm, right, Gabe? Okay, they're going to bury it, right? All, of, all it of it. It's in, all together. It's all together. Bury it. Yeah, because that, then he can hit the death switch, and then this is the part I don't remember. There was a body on the on that guy's side of the fence already. No, That's Pattinson. Pattinson's body's on the yeah. other side of the fence with John David. Well, it's on, he's on, the, he's on the bad guy's side. He's going backwards because yeah. he gets up and gets so, shot. So that and... is Pattinson, a different Pattinson. Down, like, so that's the thing. We could get a sequel because we don't know what the circumstances are. Of that. So that's, that's what Pattinson. I want to know. But yes. that, that's why we would need a sequel in order because we don't know why that Pattinson yeah. had to come back to that moment. Well, here's what I think happened. Well, he would have gotten shot. He got shot in the face. So I think what, what, yeah, because he he would the uh, the guy was shooting John David Washington. He needed him to live because he goes on to be the John Connor and set up all yeah, of this yeah. uh, that eventually happened. So I think he gets on that helicopter, goes back, gets back in a turnstile, <laughs> and then comes back in <laughs> and then gets down there in order to oh do that. Oh my god. And, uh, <laughs> And then we've officially over. When is he Batman? <laughs> is he Batman anytime well, soon? He's not Batman. He's well, vengeance. So that's between then and that. He he does, he does Batman, Batman roll and then he comes back down. He's got to check his watch. He's like, oh shit, I gotta be in. <laughs> Sorry, Riddler. I gotta get going. All right, so that's our tenant wrap up. Uh, and we will again, like I said. Are we good on that? Are we good on yeah, that? I mean, take that thoughts? and expand it by two hours. Yeah. And that was unfortunately, Gabe. I'm, I'm yeah. bummed you had to miss out on it, but that was that was. Um, that's cool though. I will say one thing that I thought, and not to take away from John David Washington, because he is cementing himself in my mind as a brilliant actor in his own right. Um, And after this, I'm just, uh, same as with Pattinson, I'm just excited to see what he does next. Um, But I'm excited to rewatch Tenet because there's, I can't, I meant to memorize the line because I just had a giant smile on my face when he's looking up the building, he's on the phone, he's telling the guy he needs to get up there. He does a line read as... Denzel Washington. There are a couple of moments in the movie where he says lines that one make me think Nolan did not write that. That's John David Washington. And when he said like the hot sauce sauce line, that is that is John David Washington. And when he says those lines, he says them. I, one, I think his normal voice sounds like Denzel's. Like, like, if you, like, yes. in per, like, I don't think yeah. he was doing it no. on purpose. And the so, one I mentioned, in those, but yeah. he does it. With that, those over me and said, so that sounded like yeah. Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so like, I think those are his. I do not think Nolan wrote the hot sauce line at all. That's cool. <laughs> I think that is John David Washington. I think Nolan might have said like, "Hey, like, say say something cool, say something yeah, funny." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's what he said. And not only did he say it, he said it kind of in his normal voice. And his normal voice just so happens to sound like Denzel's voice. The hot sauce line is my favorite line in the movie. And, and like, it, really it, it, it really is. And it, I know it sounds crazy to say that, yeah. but that line is so perfectly encapsulating of the character. He's just such a yeah. badass. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, like, there's the other one, Sean, that you pointed out when he's when um, Kenneth Branagh's guys are kind of feeling him up to make sure oh, that he yeah. doesn't have guns or anything when he's coming to the table. 
Yes. And he says, and like, oh, like something. So you got to buy me dinner or something first. Buy me dinner yeah, first. Yeah, where I come from. Yeah. yeah usually, they usually buy you dinner first. Yeah. And when well, he says, the way he says it is in a Denzel cadence. Yeah, yeah. There's no other way to sort of yeah, put it. Yeah. But it's. it It's such a, just because you mentioned that, Kev, it's such a, like, um, uh, uh, a line that sticks out. And I think it was in the trailer. But I think my favorite might be Pattinson going, oh, don't be dramatic. And then he says, well, how are you yeah. going to do that or whatever? And he goes, well, that, or how yeah. big is the plane? And he that's goes, well, that's a, a dramatic. That's a, li- that's a little <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I love I, uh, that. I, I do want to say one thing, because my initial reaction to the film, I was at a four and a half out of five. And again, we were still processing it, right? So when I went to see it last night, again, more like a, a little bit more on the relaxed side and kind of just taking it in. I experienced something so different last night because I, I already loved the film, but then the film just kind of like became something more from an emotional core for me. And I, I just want to shout out Elizabeth Debicki because I think her performance in this film is so unbelievably brilliant. Um, the way she plays that part, her on the IMAX screen, that character is iconic. That is an mm. iconic, I think. And I think that she genuinely is one of the leads of the film as much as John David mm-hmm. Washington is like they're they are both so important. And what I love about this movie is that Nolan, Nolan has a tendency to make colder films. And we know that. I mean, his films do leave people cold sometimes. He gets a lot of criticism for the way he writes women, too. But this particular film, much like Interstellar, I genuinely found myself emotionally invested in the complete story of multiple characters i wanted mm-hmm. i want a resolution on all these different characters and for me last night's experience just solidified it's a masterpiece five out of five i'm going again can, can we admit week. though that she had a horror she has not just the worst line in the movie but one of the worst lines i've heard in a long time that made me sort of go like which one Nolan. wait wait i've seen Nolan. it twice and i've never cringed at one of her lines which one is it? i cringed <laughs> i cringed hard sean which any one? idea no i don't know when they said something there is some the setup was something about this would cause everyone in the world to die and she goes even my son Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I went like, oh, yeah. that stuck out to me. Okay, what I do. Fuck. Yes, I do remember yeah. that. That, that, that you say it. Like, if yes. I were Pattinson's character, I'd be like, yes. Like, even <laughs> one of those even things. Your son. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's she was delirious. She had a bullet in her. Come on. Could have just been handled with a great close-up, and that's it. And she's a she's yeah, a great enough yeah. actress to pull that off. All you needed was a close-up of her reacting that's to that funny. line, and you that, get. What, now that you, you once you say it, I remember hearing that line and thinking, "Listen, oh. it's it's no solo name <laughs> yeah. scene line, but it is. You know, it's it's up. You know yeah, what? Every <laughs> time you knock the solo name scene, I'm going to look back and go, even uh, my son. Let's transition <laughs> right into uh, our blend game for this week, which appropriately enough for the episode where we finally got Christopher Nolan to join the Real Blend podcast, we are going to play hashtag. Christopher Nolan blend and I'll go first and drop a bomb. Now this is favorite, favorite, not best favorite, absolute favorite. Um, <laughs> my answer can only be Batman begins, which I think is his oh, best. Really? Batman That's film. not what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Well, I think it's his best Batman film. Um, and I think it's one of the best superhero films I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it, uh, you hear the terms thrown around uh, far too often now, and you forget that they exist because of Nolan. Um, it was grounded and it was realistic. Um, it made me believe that this guy uh, could become Batman. It showed you every step of the way uh, how he isolated himself and trained, came back to the city and used his enormous wealth 
to put together. It, it just walked you through every step and every step was credible. Um, how he would have access to a Tumblr. Uh, and even like the Tumblr, they had lines with Morgan. It's one of the best scripts ever. Like when Morgan Freeman's just like, oh yeah, that's an experimental military uh, grade uh, vehicle. And you're like, oh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> and he goes, uh, you know, when he comes around to ask about spelunking, you know, like these are things that a, a billionaire uh, could say to his his weapons developer and, and all of it fit. Um, but what I love about Batman Begins uh, also is that it doesn't rely on the easy villains. Uh, it uses Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow and you would automatically even uh, the way that the Robert Pattinson one is going to bring in all, right off the bat. You got Penguin, Catwoman and the Riddler like they're Batman is one of the most famous rogues gallery. And Nolan was essentially like, I don't need him. You know, just give, give me Liam Neeson and uh, Killian Murphy and, uh, and I'll make it work. Um, but. I also hold on to Batman Begins because I'll stand by the fact that the reveal at the end of that movie, and I think Jake disagrees with me, doesn't necessarily set up a sequel. It just could have been the most satisfying ending to a movie that simply says, here's the launch pad for a crime fighter in Gotham. Naturally, he's going to have a Joker eventually down the line, but in much the same way that with Joaquin Phoenix's character... Okay, so we saw Bruce Wayne's parents get killed. You know, eventually those two are going to cross paths. We don't need to see it. But of course, it was so successful and made so much money and was so critically acclaimed that, that they convinced Nolan to come back. Now, I will almost stand by the fact that I don't know if Nolan ever wanted to do more Batman movies. Um, you know, yes, he did a great I, job with the Dark Knight. I don't Knight. think after Dark Knight, he wanted to do the third one. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. He definitely did you not. You can at see all. it in the movie. <laughs> I yes. like Dark Knight Rises, dude. No, you don't. So no, I'm just kidding. If you, I do. Have, if I love you, it. To me, if you lay out it, Nolan's entire filmography um, on DVD Blu-ray and you said to me, uh, pick one to sit down and watch right now, I'm picking Batman Begins every single time because um, I think it is just an airtight package. Uh, it's I think Oldman is phenomenal as Commissioner Gordon, uh, eventually becoming Commissioner Gordon. And uh, and I, I think Bale is is a good Batman and the best Bruce Wayne um, that we've probably seen on screen. So that's my pick. That's my pick for Christopher Nolan. I'm going to branch off of that just because I think I know what Kevin's is. And I'm, so I'm going to branch off and say that my favorite is the dark Knight. There you go. Um, and, and for a lot of the reasons that you say you love Batman begins because it, it realistically builds up this character. Mm -hmm. um, for me, the reason I love the dark Knight is because I think it realistically breaks him down. Mm. Uh, uh, the Dark Knight is it's not just my, my favorite superhero movie of all time um, but I also think it's I mean Batman himself is my favorite superhero and it's I think it's easy to see your favorite superhero built up and see him win and see him celebrated but the Dark Knight basically says like like what if he loses mm -hmm. and not only what if he loses what if he loses the faith of the people he's trying to save mm. and I think to me that's a much more interesting and much more complicated story. I think he pulls it off beautifully. Um, the pacing of that, I know we talk about it a lot, how like it doesn't even really feel like it. It feels like heat, that if Batman had a, had a hand in heat and he were playing around with it, there's nothing I can say about Ledger that hasn't already been said. Mm -hmm. um, but but very, very similar parallels to, to why Batman Begins is your favorite. The creation of Batman, I like Dark Knight because it's basically the, the destruction of Batman. Mm-hmm. Kev, I, I mean, I feel like this is it's just 
I mean, you guys already know the answer. I mean, it's Interstellar. Um, That's why I jumped in. I hope you don't mind. That's why no, I jumped no, no. in because I feel like let mine me, was an. Let ex- me ask you one quick question. Do you ever envision a, a like could Tenant surpass Interstellar? It depends. Like like again, I could watch Tenant on the fifth time, the fifth pass, and it could become my favorite. I don't know. Yeah. I think Interstellar. The reason Interstellar will always, I believe, have that mark is because it was the first time that I truly emotionally invested in Nolan's mm-hmm. characters. And I always, you know, again, love Memento, love Dark Knight, love Batman Begins, love following. I emotionally invest in those characters, but I never really, there was always a, a certain coldness that I would leave with, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I just, I just didn't, I never felt like the feels when I, when I think prestige connected with me, like especially love, Jackman's character. Love prestige. I just, yeah. again, another one that I, I, I love but when Interstellar hit, and I always mention the McConaughey scene and watching his kids grow up over 23 years and under four hours of being on Miller's planet, it's the use of time that creates that immersion, that creates the emotion. Um, it was also a science fiction film made with the heart of Kubrick, um, in my opinion. And, and Noel would say it too, obviously, but no green screen front projection out the out the at the out the windows of these spaceships that they were you know whatever they designed for the for the film and the, on the gimbal and everything but i just i i think it was the perfect intersection of of practical effects old school filmmaking and just genius storytelling um and the concept of a you know matthew mcconaughey's character at the age he's at to walk in and see his daughter on her deathbed in a much older version of the character, uh, Ellen Burstyn, I believe, plays yeah. the um, plays the uh, older version of Jessica. And it was Chastain's such a great character. reveal because we had been seeing testimonials from her yes. at the beginning of the movie and didn't even yeah. realize it was her. It's that full, was it? Yeah, it, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. That's, the, that's all the testimonials. Yeah, are. but the, I'm saying was it a great reveal? Oh, it was a brilliant reveal. Who hurt you? Yeah, I don't understand what's going on there. But but my, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, but Interstellar. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, hey, that's my wife. You're talking about. <laughs> I know Interstellar was the obvious choice for me to go with because it's the one I talk about the most um, but Dunkirk is actually the one that I put on the most in my house if that makes sense because mm-hmm. Dunkirk's a 90 minute lean watch right it's it's you know it's not that long it's a little over 90 minutes I believe but but that's the one I put on just to look at the visuals like I'll, I'll be upstairs like taking you know cleaning the dishes or whatever or, like hanging out with the dogs and I'll throw on the 4k of Dunkirk because Nolan allows his blu-rays to have the imax transitions um but interstellar no question favorite so wait have you I've seen been... the first 10 minutes of dunkirk or the first half hour of dunkirk more than the entire thing oh, no. or will you ever like jump to the middle I, well i've seen the entirety of dunkirk he tunes in for the harry styles part that's oh, it. over 10 to, i mean over 10 to 15 yeah. times but like yes yeah. I, i've watched the beginning a lot more just in passing yeah Jakey. Quick question. Uh, at this point, Nolan's made, I believe, 11, 11. movies, including following. Uh, top half or bottom half? Where do you put Tenet? Oh, top half. No question. Top, top half? Oh, it's like number I think, four I think, for I think, me? I think I bottom half for me. Bottom half? Yeah. It's still my favorite movie of the year, but I'd still say bottom half. Oh, I think... Uh, here's what's... Here's what's Gabe? Gabe? All right, we got to get out. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I can process we gotta, that. Yeah, yeah, that we was, wait, wait, that Jake, was, uh, Jake. Dark Knight. Instinctually, I haven't thought of, I haven't thought about it like this, but in, instinctively, I want to say top half. Yeah. But I haven't thought about it more than oh, just right wow. now. Jake, what's That's a better it. movie? Dark Knight Rises or Tenet? <gasps> uh, I think Tenet's a better movie. I think Dark Knight Rises might be easier to watch. 
like casually. Oh, you're so wrong. That's so wrong. That is a wrong <laughs> statement. That is a wrong statement. Hey, hey, one of us has a hard out and it ain't me. <laughs> All right. So Alexander Struntz says uh, for his audience pick, hands down, he has to go with Interstellar for this one. Although he says Tenant was very cool last night, especially since I got to talk to Kevin and Lauren about it before and uh, after the movie. I have a picture with this guy. Wait, I'm going to show it right nice. now. I took a picture okay. with him so I could so I could show you guys. Uh, this While is, you're doing that, I'm going to say, do you have it there? Yeah, I have it right here. I'm gonna, so oh, l- nice. long story short, Lauren, I know you have to get out, but Lauren and I went to Tenant last night at Tyson's uh, at AMC and Tyson's. And when we were sitting at TGI Fridays having a drink before the movie, this guy looks at me. I'm, I'm, and he's wearing a mask. I'm wearing. I'm not wearing a mask at this point because I'm sitting down for um, uh, a drink. And he goes. The first thing he says to me is, "Are you Kevin from Real Blend or or something like that?" Like he, <laughs> it wasn't. Hey, Kevin from Fox the Five best. or Kevin from the Junkies. It was Kevin from Real Blend. And it, it was like it was a really cool thing to like have someone say that out loud. And so yeah, this yeah. is him right here. So he's the gentleman. That's the guy who probably sent that who sent in nice. and that was his friend. So this gentleman didn't listen to the show, but this is uh, the real blend fan. Hey, hey, but, why not? <laughs> you're shaming no, him. Not, not yet. He, not yet. He, hadn't, not yet. he hadn't listened to the shows, but now he's going to because he I knows we have Nolan to it yet this, this week. So, yeah. Yes, that's right. He knows that we have Nolan. Cool. OK, uh, Michelle Garrist and Ezra Cubero both say Inception. Kevin Lee says The Dark Knight. And then Casey Proctor and Brandon Pope said prestige. We want to thank everybody for participating this week uh, and for celebrating Nolan's filmography for next week. um, Obviously in tribute to Chadwick Boseman, we're going to play hashtag Chadwick Boseman blend. So please let us know your picks via social media. Uh, You can use hashtag Chadwick Boseman blend, and you can email them to us at realblendedcinemablend.com. That is uh, where you can also send reviews for the show. And this week's, Review comes from Caleb Newburn, who writes, "Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> waka waka. Where's my? I need a I need one of those WNBC. I've been an avid film fan for as long as I can remember, and have always enjoyed tuning into film podcasts and shows to hear different perspectives on all things related to them. I've jumped around between plenty of film podcasts over the years, but Real Blend is the only one that I continue." to come back to week after week. One of my big problems with many other film discussion shows I've listened to is how cynical they can be. Most of these shows start off strong with enthusiastic hosts, and then over time, they seem to become very jaded and almost disinterested in talking about movies. So I tweeted this the other day, and I kind of mean this. Like, film... The Twitter in general exists to just remind me of how many people in our business just don't like movies. They just don't like movies. They find something to complain about every single time that something comes out. And it's, I listen, I'm a cynical person and I'm a pretty jaded person and I can go to the negative very easily. But th- when, when you're constantly complaining about movies, it's exhausting. And it makes me a- want to ask these people, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, Go do something else that you like if you can't find anything to celebrate in terms of cinema. Yeah, I know, Gabe. I, I went off on a tangent, but that... that no, you're not, right. you're not <laughs> wrong, though. You're not wrong. And I, it's frustrating. You're not wrong. It's Sean's really been having this. Sean, this uh, has been bubbling up inside, Sean. Let's you're not wrong. See. It frustrates it, me, too. It, it gets to a point where a lot of shows seem to put more of their energy toward tearing down films and filmmakers rather than building them up. Real Blend seems to have done almost the complete opposite. Well, thank you. Yes, We inverted true. the show of film. <laughs> Whether they're interviewing Quentin Tarantino 
or the director of a movie like Bloodshot, they always approach the interviews with a huge level of respect for the filmmakers who put years of their time and energy into creating something. Did we interview yeah. the director of Bloodshot? Sean did. Uh, Sean did. I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah, but he's. But that review's not wrong. Every time I hear Sean do a, an individual interview for a guest that might not have a big name, he always approaches it yeah. very professionally like you would with I, any big director. I want to step in, not because it, it's, you know, polite, but while we made out of like the movie, he was a great guest. He, he was, was really a great guest. He was cool. Yes. Yeah, I remember listening to it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, he was a relatively new filmmaker who was super excited. Um, even after two years of doing the show, the guys always seem so genuine and excited about the fact that they get to talk about movies with their best friends. The arguments they have, although sometimes very heated, are clearly coming from a place of love for movies and respect for their fellow hosts. There isn't a hint of cynicism in sight, and in a world that's full of it, each episode is a breath of fresh air. All of the previously mentioned thoughts were confirmed to me over... Uh, a little over a year ago when I ran into Kevin at the AT&T Game of Thrones prop-up oh. exhibit in Chicago. Much to our surprise, Kathleen Kennedy name drop oh. uh, dropped in on our conversation, and we had a chance to chat with her for a few minutes while she wow. took pictures next to the Iron Throne. All of this is true. This is a crazy wow, story. the world has changed. That was- As a big... S- Oh, I was, as a big Star Wars and Real Blend fan, the whole experience was really surreal for me. And Kevin That's was cool. just at just as, if not more excited about the whole situation. His love for film really shined through that day, and it just proved to me how genuine their passion for what they do is. That so I we don't have time to break down that whole story, but that story was insane. It's in a, it's in a past insane. episode. Like it's find the episode, episode that somewhere around Star Wars celebration. April something. Uh, I think we talk about it in the episode where we talk about the Game of Thrones finale, because that happened yeah. when we were all watching yep. Game gotcha. of Thrones. Excellent. That's why okay. that's why so, she was there, because she was getting a picture at the throne, because remember, they were getting ready to make a Star Wars trilogy with the Game of Thrones yeah. guys. Yeah. Un- until they're not. Yeah. <laughs> she, she hadn't. Fired After she yet. watched season eight, she was like, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, she mind. didn't say that for real. I'm just kidding. But yeah. So uh, thank you very much for that review. That was a fantastic review and a really great deep dive uh, into a tremendous memory for this show. Uh, listen, uh, Real Blend Premium. If you guys want to subscribe to Real Blend Premium, you can go to bit.ly backslash real blend real blend premium you uh if you're not a subscriber you missed bathroom blend uh, this past week and for next week we're going to be uh telling our best junket interviews and our worst junket interviews uh from our history of doing this so um until next week when we're all back together you can follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv and at sean underscore o'connell please drop us a review on itunes and tune in when we are back. Now, listen, we're not gonna, not going to have Nolan next week. Not with that uh, so, attitude. So it'll be a little bit of a calm down. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What what do we do now at this point? I want to put we, something we in the universe. Ho- okay. Hoyt Van Hoytema on our oh, show. Yeah, we could, we could probably make that I mean, happen. it's not Nolan. It still will yeah. be I mean, it's a great game. Awesome. He shot too, Dunkirk. Yeah. I mean, come on. Tenet. Wally Fister would be cooler. I mean, but dude, but oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, shot Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Tenet. I'm not knocking them. I'm not knocking them. You're knocking them. No, I was kidding. All right. Uh, so until next week, uh, Gone Girl. Uh, uh, Revenge of the Jedi. Revenge. I don't know. That's just the poster. It's sitting Revenge in front of, of me. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, I, I wanted, I, I'm, trying to, get, I'm trying, trying to get Fincher. Fincher. I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to get Fincher on the show. Zodiac.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 